Welcome, listeners, to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We got a great show for you to this evening, and we'll have a special, interesting guest calling in. And as usual, we will be playing some really cool music. So grab your roll bar and let's power shift. Oh, the shark, babe, has such teeth, dear. And it shows them pearly white Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe And it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites With his teeth, babe Scarlet billows start to spread Fancy gloves, though, where's old Maggie Heath, babe? So there's never, never a trace of red. Now on the sidewalk, ooh, Sunday morning, uh huh, lies a body just oozing life. Can someone sneaking round the corner? Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag is just drooping on down. Oh, that cement is just, it's there for the weight to dare. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. About Louis Miller, he disappeared, babe. After drawing out all his hard-earned cash, and now Maggie Heath spins just like a sailor. Could it be our boy's done something rash? Jenny's diver, ho, ho, yes, Suki Tawdry. Okay, uh, this is Nostalgic Radio and Cars. This is not music for your life, although that would probably probably be the right vintage. How'd they get in the 8-track there, Lee? I don't know. we got to clean that thing out, man. Yeah, really. Yeah. So, uh, at any rate, um, we played that song. Actually, I played that for a friend of mine in Orlando. He's got a uh, an MGB, and he's probably sporting around in that this evening and get ready to go to uh, Old Town this weekend. But it just so happens to be Shark Week, so couldn't think of a more fitting song, you know, Mac the Knife by Bobby Darren. That was one of his best. Um, last week, as you know, we had a uh, real interesting guest on, a friend of ours, um, John, and uh, he's a fellow appraiser. But naturally, I want my listeners to contact me if you or anyone you know needs appraisals, pre-purchase 
inspections, vehicle locating, or obviously, uh, in some cases, if your car's been hurt and then fixed back again, um, diminished value reports. So uh, if you uh, want uh, and you know of anybody that needs any of my service, feel free to contact us at golfstreamradio at gmail.com. That's golfstreamradio at gmail.com. Also, you can, uh, if you miss some of our other shows and you haven't, uh, you know, you caught into this, this program a little late, um, we now have all our shows on podcasts. So if you go to either Tantalk1340.com and click on Nostalgic Radio and Cars, that's Tantalk1340.com and click on Nostalgic Radio and Cars, you can pull up all our past shows on podcasts. Or you just go direct to internetradiopros.com slash nostalgic cars. That's internetradiopros.com slash nostalgic cars. And you can pick up all our past shows. So uh, the marvel of technology, right, Lee? Yeah, it's a very efficient way to uh, get get yourself out there. Lee is our production manager here. Hi, Lee. How you doing this evening? And uh, Lee's kind of helped me out on this stuff because I'm not real internet savvy. I just know a little bit about motors and cars and stuff. At any rate, uh, let's see. What do we got going on? Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to be doing a few little things differently in the future. I'm not sure when, but soon. And one of the things that we're going to incorporate in the show is I've been in contact with some dealerships around here. And what I'm thinking about doing is uh, grabbing a car off their lot. It could be a Ford, a Chevy, it could be a Volkswagen, it could be an Audi, it could be a Toyota, it could be a Datsun. Well, Nissan, I guess. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drive those cars for a day or two or three or four, or however long they let me drive them. And then I'm going to turn the cars back in, and then I'm going to do a little review on the cars, and then I'm going to talk about it on the radio show. And I'm going to talk about, you know, the pros, the cons, the good things, the bad things, creature comforts, how well they drive, how well they handle, the performance they're handling, uh, mileage, uh, you know, things that are important to people. Um, and, it, and it may range from low-end cars to high-end cars. You know, uh, if I get lucky, I might grab a Porsche or something like that. If not, I'll be driving a little Subaru or something. And then also, oh, yeah, they might be vintage cars, too. If I can get some of the guys around here, like our friends over at PJ's Auto World or maybe over at Golden Classics uh, or some of the other private collectors that I know that, that have some cars and want to kind of donate them to the cause for a day or two, we'll do, uh, we'll do some features on those cars. And uh, so that, and then of course I'm going to occasionally have some guests that sit in that got some really unusual cars and have them talk about those as well. And uh, also in the fall here, um, that's our big swap meet season. Car shows will be coming up, and uh, the, all that stuff will be starting in uh, September. So what we'll do is we'll bring you up to speed on upcoming shows, upcoming events, and swap meets. Uh, some of the vintage racing venues, um, some of the new stuff too. You know, like the uh, newer racing. I'll try to get up. Uh, get up to speed a little bit on NASCAR and some of the uh, Grand Am races that are going on and maybe some of the European touring cars. So it should be interesting. And um, so i got a couple of good things planned. I want to kind of keep the show mixed. I want to keep you guys uh, tuned in all the time. So I've got to kind of keep you guys interested and, uh, and uh, kind of keep it a balanced show. Maybe even some F1 stuff, and that's getting towards the end of the season too as well. Um, another thing I want to talk about this evening too is charities. Um, it's hard times out there for a lot of people. And I think the best thing to do is to, um, if, you, if you're in a more fortunate situation than a lot of others, is to consider a charity, particularly a local one in a local community. So since we're here in Pinellas County, there's a charity that I just discovered here within the last couple of weeks, and it's called Close to Kids. And it's a local uh, charity organization. And what they do is they provide a week's wardrobe or a week's worth of clothes to basically children that don't have it so good right now. And they do this twice a year. You know, 
Um, if you'd like to find out more about this uh, organization, it's called Close to Kids. Okay, there's a local number in Clearwater. It's four four one fifty fifty. And there's a St. Pete number, 327-7100. And that, again, is St. Pete, 327-7100. And in Clearwater, they're up on Hercules Avenue, is 441-5050. I think it's a worthwhile charity. Um, Children really need as much help as we can possibly give them. So uh, I urge everybody out there to uh, look into this organization, this charity, and uh, keep that in mind. You can just donate clothes to them. That's simply, I mean, you can donate money, you can donate anything, I mean, that you have, obviously, but it's primarily clothes is what they're looking for, and obviously money is, is, is a good thing as well. So feel free to give those guys a call, and uh, I'd like everybody to kind of keep them in, the, in their minds. Um, Lee, what else we got on the, uh, has you got the 8-track working again? Yeah, yeah, I got this baby fired up again. We had to, uh, we had to tweak it a little bit. Okay. But, uh, we found a funky, uh, there's some funky, uh, you know, Thingy in tape there? stuck in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see what this one sounds like. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living the devil may care And I am just a devil with love and spare So Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas How I wish that there were more than the 24 hours in the day Even if there were 40 more I wouldn't sleep a minute away Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel A fortune won and lost on every deal All you need is strong heart and a nerve steel Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas with your neon flashing And your one-armed bandits crashing All those holes down the drain Las Vegas turning day into nighttime, turning night into daytime. If you see it once, you'll never be the same again. I'm gonna keep on the run, I'm gonna have me some fun. If it cost me my very last dime, if I wind up broke, well, I'll always remember that I had a swing in time. I'm gonna give it everything I've got Lady luck, please let the dice stay hot Let me shoot a seven with every shot Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas Viva Viva Las All right, we're back. That's uh, Viva Las Vegas by Elvis Presley. That movie came out, I think, in 1964. And uh, there's a trivia question, but it's coming up. I'll let you know on that when we do uh, in a week or so. What we're going to do is we're going to do a Elvis Presley tribute because he. it's been a long time since he left us here, and it was in August of 77, I think. Wasn't it, Lee? Somewhere around there, August of 77, when he went to the great rock and roll band up in the sky? 
was that it? Was it uh, August 16th? Or, yeah, uh, something like that. So what we're going to do is on that, you know, commence, commensurating or uh, in his tribute or in his honor, we'll play a whole bunch of Elvis Presley songs. Yeah. Do you remember where you were when uh, Elvis yeah, died? I was on Clearwater Beach at the, my mom and dad's motel. Really? I, yeah. I know exactly where okay. I was. I think most everybody it's, does. It's one of those moments. Yeah. A friend of mine, well, the chick I was dating back then, she said, and she was just totally distraught. She was from Germany at the time. So she found out about it before I did. So what the heck? At any rate, uh, we got a caller on the phone. Yes, we did. All right, Mike let's uh, introduce our friend. Uh, Mike, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you, you doing? I'm doing real good. I'd like to introduce our friend. Uh, Mike, is, uh, we got him on the air. Um, I met him at a couple of car shows the last couple of years down at the uh, Kaiser Devereux show in Sarasota because he lives in the Sarasota area. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, be with a group of guys last week. And we were talking about car stuff, and he's a very, very interesting guy with some very, very interesting history. And he has a really cool 61 Pontiac. So, Mike, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. So tell us, a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. you got a kind of an interesting past. Tell us a little bit how you got in the cars and then uh, what you did for a living, because it's kind of an unusual job. It's not something you uh, run into every day. Okay, well, I basically got pretty interested in drag racing in around 1958-59. And my father had a 1953 Studebaker. So in 1959, we started going to Detroit Dragway. because We originally lived in Toledo, Ohio. I was born and raised there. So we would just go up to Detroit Dragway, and, and we'd run the Studebaker. And... Then around 1961, he, my father bought a 61 Pontiac Bonneville. It was an automatic four-barrel car, but you know, I had to take it up there and try it out. So I got kind of interested in, in racing, and um, I had a 62 Super Duty in 63. But when the 64 GTOs came out, I decided uh, kind of a neat car. So I went down in Toledo and ordered one in we got it, and we raced it in A and B stock pretty much uh, through the 60s, late 60s. We kind of just played around with it and uh, got into B-modified production, but uh, it, it, was a, it was a neat deal. And then in the early 70s, I uh, went into quarter-mile drag boat racing. Quarter-mile drag I, boat racing. Yeah, Uh we had a cottage, and I had a small boat, and then somebody happened to tell me that they drag-raced boats. And I thought, well, now, and I never heard of it. And I said, well, that might be a kind of interesting deal. So I went to the first one. It was down in Troy, Ohio, and it was pretty neat. I thought, you know, we went 75 mile an hour. I thought, well, we could improve on it. I had a Hemi. A 426 had me two 4s on it and everything I'd build up for a ski boat. But then I got pretty involved in it in 74, and I bought my first racing drag boat, which was a Hondo out of California, and we got into a class on blown gas flat bottom. And then in 76, I had uh, Dick Landy Enterprises out in California. They built me a 522 cubic inch all-aluminum Hemi with the two fours on. It was basically almost designed after one of Dick's pro-stock motors. And his brother, Michael, built it and tuned it and everything. And so we started racing and kind of went all, 
all around the United States, basically raced in the east out of an eastern division. But uh, I ran the quarter-mile drag boats up until uh, 1978. Wow. And, uh, but in 1970, uh, I went to work for Champion Spark Plug Company in Toledo, Ohio, which was kind of a unique thing. My father had worked there. He retired in 1970. He had 48 and a half years there. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to get into their engineering center and work in their dyno facility. And I, most people, most guys always say, wow, a dyno facility, you worked with a lot of performance engines. Well, at Champion, we didn't. We basically worked with stock engines, but we were designing spark plugs for the automotive world. So it became pretty unique, and we had like 16, 17 test cells that we had engines running, anything from a string trimmer to a V8 truck engine, anything. But all the engineers would come up with designs and build up special plugs, and we would send them down to the lab, and we would test them. And we did various things. And it was a very interesting thing. Uh, it it helped me in drag racing quite a bit to understand a lot of stuff. And I met a lot of, a lot of neat people. And uh, I was there for 32 years. Uh, so it was just a pretty unique thing. Uh, a lot of people don't understand. They think that little spark plug was pretty unique. Just stick it in the engine and hook up a wire to it, and we hope it works. It better work. Uh, but oh. there's a lot of design that goes into a spark plug. Yeah, go a ahead. A lot of testing. Okay, take a few minutes and just kind of uh, give us the basics. Tell us, like, uh, the inception of the spark plug, you know, let's say, like, the basic idea, and then how they evolved uh, maybe, like, 25, 30 years later and then in the 70s when you were there and then how they uh, – and then from the time that you left, uh, that you retired from Champion Spark Plug. So give us kind of a breakdown because a lot of people really don't know – it, it you know it looks like a tiny little thing, but it's kind of a significant part of the car, really. You know, I mean, when you think about it, oh, it sure is. Yeah. <laughs> it makes yeah. it run. Uh, well, back back in the early days, you know, it it basically just fired the uh, combustion, you know, the gasoline, and it, it was just a basic center wire down through the center that went up through to the top to the neural on the top, and then your plug wire hooked to it. And it, it would just send a signal down to the, you know, the engine to fire. But as years went by, all of a sudden we had to start thinking about emissions and stuff like that, gas mileage. So, of course, then we, became, you know, we had leaded fuel back then. And I'm sure the older fellows will all remember that, you know, after a couple thousand miles, they'd pull a spark plug out, and they were pretty coated with a lead deposit on it. And if it got too bad, that lead deposit started to short across to the shell and stuff to cause a misfire in the engine. Well, then the uh, factory started cleaning up stuff with uh, leaner carburetors, different spark advances and stuff like that. Well, all that caused problems with the center wires and, and the material, uh, core nose material, all the insulator, and how they were built. So... Were the, were the original ones also and wrapped in porcelain, basically shrouded in porcelain with the with the with the center core and 
Or were they, yeah. did they use a different material back then? All, almost all your basic spark plugs from day one were on a, a very similar design. They all did the same thing. Okay. It, it was just the environment that changed inside the combustion chamber that required different materials and different designs. And, of course, you had to have different heat ranges, mm-hmm. and, and that took different insulator uh, styles. You had some insulators that were, the end of it was flush with the shell, and some insulators stuck down below the shell. And, like, when we were racing the Hammy, it used an extended tip spark plug. And I'm sure a lot of the older fellows that did racing understood that the uh, uh, long insulator, extended tip, was really good for drag racing because as it was sitting there idling, that porcelain and the end of the tip of the sparkle was down in the combustion chamber. So it, it was firing hot down in there, keeping things relatively clean. But as you start down the track and the uh, fresh fuel came into the cylinder, that also splashed on that nose core and cooled that plug down. So it was kind of a neat thing. It would keep the spark plug tip cool at wide open travel down through the quarter mile. Or if you're on a circle track like Daytona or something like that. And it, and it, it kept it from getting into pre-ignition and having problems with it. What and, uh, uh, what determined the heat ranges? In other words, the variation on some cars? Because I know when I used to run my Fords, I would run like, uh, and I don't remember what this champion was, but I'd like run like a 28 and a Ford and an Autolite, and then I know when I was racing, I'd run a little colder plug, but then sometimes if the cam was real radical, I'd, you know, just to keep it from fouling, I'd run, you know, one or two heat ranges hotter. So, but I know that some of the other engines, like the guys that were running Chevrolets or the guys that were running Pontiacs or Mopars or whatever, you know, their heat ranges, they're all within four or five degrees, but uh, but some of them were specced out a little hotter, a little colder. colder. So what kind of determined that? Well, uh, actually, for the, for a standard car... We worked with the manufacturer, okay? The manufacturer came up with a certain type of engine, and then we designed a thermocouple plug that you could, we would put into an engine and hook it up to meters, and it would read the tip temperature, temperature of that spark plug. So now we knew that if it was going to, it had to run around 1450 or lower. 1450 and above in a four cycle would get you into pre-ignition. So you wanted to run like about 1200, 1250 was an ideal situation on the tip temperature. So we would go to the manufacturers, or if we had that type of an engine, uh, Chevrolet Ford, we did all kinds of engines. And you would put that thermocouple plug in there, and then we would test that and say, okay, this is right around 14. Well, we got to make a colder recommendation for the company. So the companies went by our recommendation as to what spark plug would work best in their engine. So essentially but what they, they did then is they supplied you with an engine, you put it on a dyno, and then you determined the heat, the temperature, temperature inside the cylinder, which determined the heat range of the plug, correct? That, that's correct. Okay. We would... We would because, like, Chrysler was OEM for Champions Park Club. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we might get a year or two newer engine for us to design a spark plug for it. And also our technicians would go to Chrysler and do testing where 
they were a secret engine or they didn't want anybody to know anything about it, you know, until it came out maybe a year or two. They were experimenting. Okay. So we were experimenting, too. But we had to work along with them to determine the correct spark plug for their engine. But Did then when we started getting you go to racing, then that spark plug in that engine was too hot, so you had to take and get a colder heat range. And basically, you had... You couldn't really say, okay, this is the particular spark plug for a racing engine. You had to do some experimenting. And, and the, the recommendation that we all did was put the coldest spark plug in and work your way back up. Even if it fouled out, you knew it was too cold. So you go a little warmer until your spark plug started to read good. And everybody was trying to learn how to read a spark plug, you know. And they they would have to look down inside the shell on the nose core and see a little ring down in there. And it was real easy with the old racing and high-octane leaded fuel. Mm-hmm. But, but with unleaded fuel came in, it became a, a little bit different. So you had to start reading the center wire temperature, the ground wire temperature, even the shell temperature. And, uh, and, and you had to learn it. It wasn't something you just picked up and looked at. You had to... You had to keep at your your car every weekend that you were racing. You had to look at it and remember what it did and how it looked. So, in other words, with the leaded fuels, what they did, if I understand this correctly, it left more of a, res- a residue as what you could actually read with the eyes, whereas with the unleaded fuel, it was less noticeable. So you had to do use the, some sort of a technical techn- technical device to right. and check the temperatures right. and stuff. Okay. Right. You, ha- you had to start looking at the, the ground wire material to see how how hot it was getting mm-hmm. or, or if it wasn't getting hot, you know, and you had to learn all this. And it was a very tricky thing. Mm-hmm. Back in the old days, it was pretty easy to read a spark plug. When you guys but, put some of these engines on the dyno, did you uh, actually uh, play around with um, indexing some of the spark plugs too on some of the engines in order to get pre-performance, peak performance out of them? Or we, did, yes, didn't, we, or we, had, we, we had one dyno that was a 500-horsepower dyno back in the 70s, and we, we would do indexing, and, and we had uh, emission con- uh, equipment where you could, and, uh, for, for performance, we, we would see, you know, difference in it. And you wanted to take and, and basically point the open end toward the intake valve. And so the fuel would go in there, and the, the flame would not get blown out. Now, some cars had 12.5, 13-to-1 pistons in it. We started having people index them because when they got a high dome in there, sometimes it would, and you had a, a long nose plug in there, extended tip type, like a, a Y tip is what it is. Like a N64Y. The Y meant it was extended tip. And that hung down in there. While that piston come up and smashed the end of the plug, closed the gap and stuff. So some people were indexing them because of that. But then as racers got more knowledge, people got more dynos to work with then they started indexing these. And Champion actually sold copper uh, gaskets in different thicknesses so that you could... It, it took a big, long time to, you know, go through a whole set of plugs and figure out where they were all pointing. And you had to mark the plugs so you knew and stuff like that. 
And today, uh, a lot of the aftermarket people actually sell gaskets to do that. So they're still doing it. And you, you, you did. You had to experiment. Years ago, you had to experiment on the track. But today, with the high-performance people, they have dynos. They can, they can figure all that out right there before it ever goes in the car. And that's, that's a neat modern technic, you know, technology. And, uh, so back but, in the day uh, when you were drag racing, I suppose, that's, uh, you were telling me earlier, too, that uh, that's what you used to do. You'd check the plug readings, but you'd have to make a pass every time and pick up what? Maybe a, a half a tenth of a second or something like that, and it would make a difference? And, and that's yeah, kind of... You would see, you know, you'd put a spark plug in, and, okay, I go make a pass. I record everything. Then you make a different change in the plug or something. You know, you could index it differently or something. You go make a pass. And it was really hard because most of the times not everybody was so consistent. Maybe if you had an automatic, but a four-speed, you were never that consistent. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could come close, but it was very difficult. But like today, you put that on a dyno, you make four or five runs on a dyno, you see the difference in the horsepower right now. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's what you want to see is the horsepower. Before, it was the seat of your pants is what, <laughs> what, what determined how your car ran, you know. Uh, did, did, and people did that with a spark advance. Some, some guys never used a timing light. They just turned the distributor. Oh, yeah, it sounds good. They go out and make a pat. Well, it didn't run so good, you know. So. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm guilty of that. Um, and now, did, that's what was neat. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, at Champion, did you test your competitors? In other words, did you grab some Autolites? Did you grab some ACs? Or did you do some outsourcing or private labeling for some of these other spark plug manufacturers that are out there? You know, the retail ones that you might go to Napa or to a, a small private, uh, you know, small chain of um, uh of uh, parts houses, like said, like an advanced auto parts or something like that. So, did you guys? Oh, oh yeah. Did you? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Competitors, they always checked our plugs. We checked their plugs. We wanted to see how they were designed. We wanted to see their temperatures, and a lot of the temperature readings to get. You know, we had to know what theirs was doing so that we could cross reference our mm-hmm. plugs to theirs. And they did the same things with ours. So. Everybody can kind of cross-reference. When you go to Napa and you say, well, I got this Ford 289 and this and that, and they say, well, do you want the Bosch? Do you want the NGK or, or uh, Champion, Autolite, AC? They knew that these were all in this basic same heat range. Um, AC, at the time, years ago, one of their plugs might have covered two or three heat ranges, where Champion had a lot of plugs that covered maybe one or two heat ranges. And you know, so sometimes it was kind of confusing, but uh, for your standard car, everything worked out good. And uh, But you had, like, if you put a champion in and then you tuned it to your car, they always worked good. A lot of guys years ago didn't like them because they'd foul. Well, they, they were a colder heat range, so if you tuned that to that plug, car ran fine you know and uh so there was a lot of technical stuff in it and today there's even more with unleaded fuel um uh, better fuel economy stuff like that you got all kinds of plugs with platinum iridium iridium and different materials so we had to experiment with all that to see how how they would last 
Then people said, well, you've got to make it last 100,000 miles. Well, we had plugs that, you know, they would last 150,000, 200,000, you know. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't put that out into production because it was so costly. I mean, there's materials out there that would last forever. But, you know, uh, it, it was so costly, people wouldn't buy your spark plug then. Well, and you like- had to make it competitive. Yeah, it's like the spark. Uh, it's like a fl- uh, a light bulb. They've got a uh, I forget it's a form of tungsten or something like that, and they could uh, the light bulb can burn indefinitely. Hey, uh, Mike, yeah. we got to take a break here just for a second. We're sure. gonna play a song, so don't go oh. away, and we'll talk oh. about some of this stuff. And I want to get into your cars and some of the other cool stuff you did. All right? Okay. All right, hang on. My wife and brother Joe took off in a Ford from San Pedro. Didn't have much gas and the tires were low, but the doggone Ford could really go. Along about the middle of the night, we's ripping along like four folks might. When a Mercury behind, he blinked his light. He honked his horn and it flew out of sight. We had twin pots and a Columbia butt You people may think that I'm in a rut But to you folks that don't dig the jive That's two carburetors and an overdrive We made three spots out of many a town And left the cops spinning round and round They wouldn't chase, they'd run and hide But me and that Mercury stayed side by side I was stuck to the throttle just like it was glue. We left streaks through towns about 40 feet wide. But me and that Mercury stayed side to side. My brother was pale. He said he was thick. He said he was just a nervous wreck. But why should I worry for what the heck? Me and that Mercury was neck and neck. Glide, flying low and a flying wide. And me and that Mercury was taking a ride. We stayed exactly side by side. I looked in my mirror and saw something coming. I thought it was a plane, the way it was a humming. Running along at a terrible pace. I knew right then it was the end of the race. When it flew by us, I turned the other way. The guy in the Mercury had nothing to say. And I could see it was a streak of gray. Was a kid in a hop. Model a. All right, we're back. Mike, are you still there? Yep, I'm okay. here. Okay, just one, and just in case you guys have tuned in, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I got a very special guest that used to work for Champion Spark Plugs. He's on the line. His name's Mike. We've been talking about spark plugs, and now we're going to talk a little bit about his drag racing days back in the, uh, especially you, did you kind of get hooked on Pontiacs kind of early in the 60s? Is that what it was? Yeah, I started actually like in 61. We had, my parents had a 61 Bonneville. It was automatic, four-barrel. But I started drag racing that. And then uh, 63, I had a 62 Super Duty. I drove for one year. And then I went and got a 64 GTO. And I did that. And uh, then I went into the drag boats. And then after drag boats, my wife and I helped uh 
fellow out of Pontiac, Michigan, work on his top fuel car for about 12 years. And and then... Uh, anybody famous? Day, anybody we know? Pardon? Uh, on the top fuel car. Anybody famous? Anybody we know? Well, I don't know. His name is Jack Olstrander. Uh-huh. And, and we run the NHRA uh, from around 82 to probably... Oh, maybe the end of 80s, and then he started into IHRA. And he basically just retired about a year and a half ago. Um, he got, sold everything, and it, it, it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, but uh, we we went all the different races around the United States and stuff with him and, and uh, helped him on the, on the car. I basically took care of spark plugs for him. And, uh, Naturally, <laughs> yeah. Did you use Champion and, uh, Spark plugs? Or did you use something else? Well, at at one time, uh, I was actually using NGK in it because Champion was having some problems. As the top fuel cars got more and more horsepower, we had some problems with Champion plugs, and I did run some NGKs in his his car for a little bit, but then I was able to get what's some of the champion engineers and explained the problems that we were having and stuff. And that's when champion came up with excellent designs in their top fuel and funny car spark plugs that they use today. Uh-huh. And uh, a few years ago, uh, you would see just about a hundred percent of cars using champion spark plugs. And, but federal mogul has purchased champion spark plug company and um, I still see a few few of the top guys, uh, just like uh, Connie Coletta. Uh, all his cars use Champion Spark plugs in there, mm-hmm. and uh, they have a they have an excellent design today. Well, that's good. Uh, but, so uh, let's get back to your uh, vintage car days because that's what everybody finds real interesting. Let's uh, like the early days in the '60s when you were drag racing. Tell us some good old drag racing stories. Some of the famous tracks that you were racing on back then. You know, like was it Dragway? 42 or 52? Which one's over there in, near you there? I know there was one in Michigan. I know there's one in Ohio, and I know there's one near Illinois. Yeah. We, we Basically, we ran Detroit Dragway. We ran Milan Dragway. Uh, these were in the 60s, and we would go up by Jackson, Michigan, to an old strip called Onondaga, and we ran at Motor City, uh, Dragway 42, Quaker State, uh, Muncie, Indiana, and of course Toledo. We had an old airport strip, and we ran out there just about every Sunday. And uh, I ran the Pontiacs out there. Uh, what we class? ran an A stock and B stock with my GTO. Okay. Uh, did, were there a lot of those? Um, did you run up against some factory team cars back then? Because I know you mentioned uh, that uh, Arnie the Farmer Beswick was up your way too, wasn't he? You ran in, you've kind of. Well, yeah. He's out there in Illinois, mm-hmm. and he. I would see him bring his little Tempest cars, uh, uh, Mrs. B's station wagon to go grocery getter. He he would bring that one in his little uh, sedan up to uh, Detroit Dragway, and he would take and uh, you know run against the Detroit boys, I guess you would call them, where all the factory boys were. Uh-huh. And, and those, were the, those were the neat days, especially like when we ran at Detroit. And I get kind of a kick out of it, and I know more people see this, but when they started this four, four drags, you know, four cars at once, 
in NHRA now. Well, back in Detroit in the in the early '60s, we were racing four there. <laughs> no kidding. Oh yeah, if they got backed up on their you know time trials and stuff, we'd start racing four at a time. Interesting. And it was kind of unique, you know. And I think there was other drag strips across the country, especially California or something. That you know, if they had a nice big drag strip, they'd they'd run four right. at a time. What kind of times were you turning back then? Well, in the GTO, when we first got it, we ran in the high 13s. And then we kind of blueprinted the motor and worked on the chassis and stuff. And we were able to get it down the low 13s and the high 12s. So you were running a 389 back then? It it was a 389 tri-power, four-speed. And we had a uh, 410 gear in the back. And we were running on 7-inch slicks to start with, the old cheater slicks. And uh, we ran an A-stock originally uh the 64 gto two-door sedan cars ran an a stock the hardtop cars ran a b stock nhra happened to put the brake right between them hmm. but then eventually as years went by we were able to run in b stock mm-hmm. and uh so it, you know we ran against uh uh royal pontiac people uh, milk charnock and them people at different times, and uh, so it was, it was pretty interesting. There was there was a lot of hot cars in the mid '60s. So they tell us about Chevelles and stuff. Tell us about this uh, this great cool car you have now. That's the one that I, I met you a couple of years ago, the first time at the Kaiser Devro show, and uh, so uh, okay. and then last year when I was there, and then this year when I was there, because um, I know you always show up with your car. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your car? Because this is a very, very interesting and a nice, I mean, what listeners, I want you guys to know this guy's got a perfect, perfect car, but I'm going to let him tell you what it is. Go well, ahead, Mike. Thank you. Uh, we found the car in, in Arizona. We were working on a 61 Bonneville in Toledo, and I was looking for some parts, and I happened to find a gentleman at Black Canyon Old Auto Parts in Arizona, and he said he had this Catalina out there, and he had taken it all apart and was going to restore it, but he had found it down in Yuma, Arizona, numerous years ago, and he understood that it used to be a drag racing car, and he said there was headers with it, there was no drive line in it, but the old gentleman that sold it to him, I guess it belonged to his son, and he raced it in the early 60s and the mid-60s. I, I have no clue what happened to him, or if he just stopped or whatever, but anyhow, this guy got the car and was going to restore it, and we found it. So my wife and I went out there, and we bought the thing. And we took it back to Toledo. We stripped it completely down, every nut and bolt. We redid, built it back up. And I knew what the cars were raced in 61. So we set it up with a 421 with two fours, four-speed, as an optional super stock car. Optional super stock was a very short-lived class for NHRA. They started it in the 1961 Indy Nationals at Indianapolis. And Mickey Thompson's car with Hayden Prophet driving did win the class. And he turned like 12.55, something like that. It was really great. But he, he won the class. But Chevrolet, Ford, Mopar, everybody got into it. And it was kind of like a factory deal when it first started. And NHRA said, well, look, you know, you guys are kind of wild here. We're going to, if this is factory stuff, we're going to make you AFX, BFX, and CFX in 62. 
So optional superstock was a very short-lived class. But we understood that this car did have a 421 in it when this other fellow was racing it. So we wanted to bring it back to that era. And that's why we restored it the way it is. And it has the 421, two fours, four-speed, has the four, 410 gear in the back. And we have turned 12, uh, 1290 at 110 with it at West Palm Beach last year. And it, it was just fun doing it. What color you know? is the car? Pardon? What color is the car? Tell us what color it is. It, it's, the, it's factory color is called bamboo cream. And it has a trifon interior in it. And uh, everything on the car looks stock. We, we took it back to this close as factory as we could. Uh, it has a scoop on the hood, which optional super stock you could race with. And that scoop actually does have a Pontiac part number. And that scoop came from the Ford trucks. Pontiac actually did buy them from Ford and put a Pontiac part number on some of them. Oh, no so, kidding. Did, did they, that looked similar to it, because I know I saw your car, and for you guys, um, that color that he's talking about is similar to uh, Chevrolet's butternut yellow. So if you guys are familiar with that color, it's just a stunning-looking yeah, car. butternut has got a little bit more yellow to it. Mm -hmm. but it. But in 61, Chevy had the same color, Pontiac, Olds, and Buick. Mm -hmm. And it was all the same code, but different names. So, um, but back, uh, but it was it's a beautiful car. There's no question. I mean, the 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 restoration quality of this car is, uh, you know, I, all I can say it's stunning, a very very stunning car. You got yourself one good looking car there, and well, we uh, really appreciate it. it. Took my wife and I eight years to restore it. <laughs> you did an absolutely stunning job. That's all I can say. But back to the hood yeah. scoop now. Um, did the 63, was it 63, 64, the Tempest, did they run a hood scoop very similar to that? Was that the same one? Because I recall... Uh, yeah, the, 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 when they had their 62 and 63 cars, you mm -hmm. know, they built uh, 15 of those Swiss cheese cars. Uh -huh. the, the Catalina Swiss cheese cars, those had those same scoops on it. Okay. And, and the 62 Tempest had those same scoops on it. And... I come to find out, I have yet to find the number, part number, but they actually, in 61, NHRA wanted a part number for the hole in the hood. Oh, no kidding. And for a separate hood with a hole in it? They wanted a part number for that particular part? They, they, want, they said that hood, there's a hole in there, and that hood is different than a stock hood. Huh. So... The Pontiac guys had to call Pontiac, and I guess they gave him a part number. And I, I guess everybody forgot about it, and mm. nobody's ever told me the part number yet. I'd love to know it. Interesting. <laughs> and if anybody's out there listening, they know the part number. Get a hold of you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you guys know what that uh, part number is on that '61 Pontiac or the '62 or the '63, if they use those and they put holes in them, because right, I would right. imagine, because if they homologated cars or if they had to do any kind of you know, limited production run cars, that's always what they did. You had to have, it had to be part specific, something, it was basically you had to have off-the-shelf parts on the car. That was one of the rules, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and like the air cleaners, the air cleaners that we have, uh, those actually were off the old Corvettes. Oh, really? And Yeah, those aluminum air cleaners that were on the Super Duty motors, those those will all come off of the, I 
think it was like a 56, maybe 55. Yeah, 56, Corvette. 57. The, well, 57 up dual quad cars. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine that was with me the day we were looking at your car, he looked at it because he has a 57 dual quad Corvette. He says, those are the exact same air cleaners I have on my Corvette. Yep. So yep. Uh, yep. I, can, I can imagine those being high-dollar pieces, and they're yeah. probably hard to come by. Yeah, and uh, but we wanted to bring it back to an era. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun going to car shows and having the old guys come around and say, I remember those cars mm-hmm. well. You know, either I had one or I raced against one or something. You know, all those days of those kind of cars, you know, will never come back again. And we just wanted to remind everybody about them. The good old days in Detroit, when Detroit made real cars, real iron, real horsepower. And right. when, a, when, when you looked at a 61 Pontiac, you knew it was a 61 Pontiac. When you looked at a 62, you knew it was a 62. You could tell exactly. from 40 feet away because exactly. they changed the cars. Yes, that was that. Exactly. And, and what was so neat about the old days drag racing is the fellas that was drag racing, they had to think of a way to make them go fast. Mm-hmm. They did not go out, plunk down their check, and take the part home, and it went fast. We had to... Do something. Whatever we did, we had to do something to make them go faster than the other guy. So wow. it took a lot of thinking on the individual's part. Well, Mike, I just got my five-minute warning. Okay. Um, so I gotta, I'm going to probably have to let you go here in a second or two, but I do want to thank you for calling in. Great stories, great background. You've got a beautiful car. Uh, for you listeners out there, if you ever get a chance, there's a show in Sarasota. It's usually like the week before Super Bowl. And it's called the Kaiser Devereux Show. I've mentioned it numerous times on my uh, my show. And it's um, uh, down there in Sarasota, Sarasota Square Mall. And Mike sh- trailers this car there and proudly displays it, and rightfully so, because this is an absolutely stunning car. So, uh, Mike, do you ever take this car to the Nostalgia Drags? Yes. We, we, we took it over to West Palm Beach last fall for the flag start. Uh-huh. And uh, what about over, uh, don't they at the uh, DeSoto, let's see, what's that called down there? Bradyton Motorsports Speedway, don't they have a nostalgia drags down there too? They do have a nostalgical drags, but you have to belong to NMCA. Oh, okay, and you I have, see. You have to have a, a nostalgical super stock number and a lot of stuff. Okay. You know, we just, we went over to West Palm because it was a flag start, and that's gotcha. the way I started. <laughs> that's the way you start. That's the good old days. All right, Mike. Yeah. Hey, Mike, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Uh, we will be in touch, and then... Uh, I'd like to have you back on again sometime. Would uh, would you be willing to do that? Oh, I sure would. Okay. I sure appreciate you asking me. Okay. Well, say hi to our friends down there at the uh, Cafe Racers group and uh, tell them that you were on the radio show, and uh, maybe we can get some more of those guys to come on, all right? Okay. All right. Thank- spread the word. Very good. Thank oh. you for, for coming on the show. Talk okay, to you later. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys, we are down to three minutes, so uh, this is a really interesting guy. You guys, I, I can't say enough about this car. It's not too often I'm highly impressed with a vehicle, but um, this was just one cool piece. And these 61 to 64 cars, uh, the big GMs, the big Fords, the big Chevrolets, uh, you know, Chryslers, um, that was just some really cool stuff. And those cars are real popular right now. And when you think in terms of muscle cars, that's really, those are the muscle cars. You know, the Camaros and Mustangs, those are pony cars, the Cudas and stuff like that, the e-body cars, your, uh, you know, your GTOs, your Torinos, your uh, uh, Chevelles, your uh, B-body uh, Roadrunners and, and Super Bs and GTXs and stuff like that. They're muscle cars too, but not in, not in the sense of what these guys were doing back in the early 60s. So that's, uh, that's kind of the heritage. Anyway, I want to thank some of our guests uh, or our, some of our sponsors here. And I want to say hello to uh, my friends 
over at the Rib Shack Barbecue in, uh, on West Bay Drive in Largo. That's uh, Corey over there. His number is uh, 727-501-9090. You want the best ribs in town, the best pork sandwich, and great sauce. Hey, Lee, you got to check this place out. It's over there in, in, uh, off West Bay Drive, 600 West Bay Drive. They're real good. Um, John, that was on the show last week, uh, he's been there before. It's really great. Um, if you guys are uh, still in a pinch and your cars don't run right and you need them towed someplace, be sure to give my friend Lefty at uh, Kotakas Towing a call. That's uh, 447-1952. That's Kotakas Towing. 447-1952. And, of course, this is uh, Wednesday, which is usually pizza night for us, so I want to say a big hello to Olton and Fred over there at Bro's Pizza. That's in downtown Clearwater. Bro's Pizza, 441-6025. That's uh, Bro's Pizza, 441-6025. And then, let's see, who else we got here? Oh, yeah, I want to uh, say hi to uh, Sharon and Jim. You know, i got to take my car over there and get my AC checked. But anyway, that's Discount Auto Repair, Ice Cold Air, downtown Court Street, 1180 Court Street, 461-5727. 461-5727. They're still doing the oil change for 1995 and the free AC checks, okay? So say hi to Jim and Sharon over there. And... Hey, you know what? On the weekends, you got to go to Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. You know, we were down. Matter of fact, Dr. Dan was over there the weekend, and I was down there, and I saw him, and we were upstairs. We were hanging out, waving to the guys over at Frenchie's. What those guys? Oh, Stu and uh, Jim over there, you know? And uh, But anyway, so Krabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 210-0988. That's right there on Clearwater Beach. They're open from 8, 9 in the morning till like 1 o'clock at night. They got everything. So see you guys. We're out of here. Stay safe, and we'll tune in to Nostalgic Auto next week.